Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. circle around i got 50 movies here we're gonna just kind of just go through the works and i guarantee you uh, just when you recognize the movie you know just jump right on in and uh, uh i'll just introduce us to how we just all understood that this actor was more than what he seemed on paper so jj since you're the surprise guest i'll let you join in um where did i first see him uh, I'm trying to think. It was coming to America. Okay. Yeah, no. That played, he played the guy who was trying to rob the McDowell's, and then I watched him. It kind of like he grew up. He like like his career started to take take flight because I remember I saw in I keep thinking it was really good movie to watch um and then i saw him in i'm trying to think the other one i saw him in that and you know he, he started to it started to grow but i think the one the one thing i loved him in was pulp fiction yeah. right so uh, of you, course. Saw, you saw basically the essential just like the mm-hmm. starter kit and it just worked your way yeah. up from there and yeah. it is kind of funny how both those roles kind of did leave an impression because yeah pulp fiction was definitely the one where everyone just instantly could quote multiple lines from his character he was an atypical hitman with a heart of gold with this godfather connection to travolta's you know vincent and yeah coming to america was basically a featured you know extra role that grew into an extended comedy skit in that giant movie and in school days too school days was just phenomenal i saw that i was like like who's this guy who's like the real tough ass you know like, like, going off of Juan carlo esposito and Lawrence fishburne yeah. <laughs> yeah and you got Lawrence. yeah you got, you got Lawrence fishburne i think there should be a movie with Lawrence fishburne and samuel jackson where they play cops but like no, they like the characters should be like interchanging. You know what I mean? Because Lawrence would play a badass, and Samuel Jackson would play a badass. So it's like you know, two guys are really good, you know. But yeah, right. And just an amazing who doesn't even seem vulnerable. Just seems just freaky and cool. One minute you just never know what he's gonna do or say next. Okay, David, I'm hearing you breathe every single minute. Our, yeah, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Microphone so close that. to your mouth there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I know, I know, I want you to interact, but I, just whatever reason, I, I, I hear every single. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> so, like, let's. Uh, this is gonna be hell. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, I'll let David go ahead and just jump in. I, I didn't mean to. Okay. No, no, I, I took. I'll keep it muted when I'm not talking. I think, um, I think Goodfellas is the first thing I remember noticing him in. Really? And then, when you okay. go, and then when you go back and, you know, realize he was in these other movies, you go, oh, yeah, I remember him in that. But I think Goodfellas is um, man because of the because of the brutality of his of his uh, of his killing in that movie. You know, he's like just putting his pants on and they shoot him in the back of the head based, yeah, on, a, just, based on a real he was based on a real person that the, that whole movie, a lot of it's based on, on a true story that the, the uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so his character is based on a real a real guy. So that's the first thing I think. That he stood out for me in, and then right then, then when I went back, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He was in School Days and uh, um, the other um, uh, the right thing. Yeah, the other uh, Spike Lee uh, movies, and he was in what Sea of Love and stuff before then. But yeah, I'd have to say Goodfellas, which I just watched the other day again. It's one of those movies where once you start watching it, you can't stop. Even if you catch it like an hour in, you're like, oh, I'm watching the rest of this. What's funny is just, I don't. You know, we've all varied on different Scorsese movies because he's done, you know, some controversial stuff, some other ones where you're like, I, it's just a bunch of very, you know, uh, awesome actors playing very one dimensional, you know, biographies. But Goodfellas is like the only one that I think everyone can universally just agree on because it it really did change how biographies were done. Crime movies were done from that point in the day, you know, and just the music. You know, nowadays everyone's too busy ripping off Scorsese or Tarantino, but then it got even to where uh, it's like now you see people incorporate music, but it really doesn't even have anything to do with the scene. They're just doing it just because they forgot the intent, which was, you know, you listen very carefully. All the Scorsese <coughs> music, uh, all the Rolling Stones music is actually has something to do with the murder scenes and all that. And the mood that everyone's feeling in the room. And like you say, yeah, Jackson's character is a total fall guy and you just don't see it coming in. And he's kind of, he's, he's a little, he's a little bit of a dipshit. He like fell asleep and forgot to get rid of the one car or something. He's kind of a, you know, yep. he, he, uh -huh. and then, and then they kill him and, he, and he's like, and I forgot which, uh, he's like, Oh, what are you doing? Take the coffee. Cause they're like making coffee and they get ready to leave after they shoot him in the one, uh, I think, uh, Joe Pesci says, no, take the coffee. It's kind of like they don't even give what? a shit. They just killed it. They killed. They just killed this guy in cold blood. Now they're just worried about. It. He's just worried about the coffee. Right. I forget which one it was that <laughs> I saw him in. Uh, I think it was George Lopez was doing an AFI tribute to him, and they <laughs> they took uh, they took that murder scene, and he's like, "Oh, you fucking died!" <laughs> just made just flat out just. Made fun of it. It was like you got you didn't just get shot. You got shot in the back of the head. Why the hell did you let your cool down, dude? You let your guard down, idiot. <laughs> yeah, because well, I think I think the impl implication was he wasn't all that bright. Right, uh, and they they chronicle him in some other versions of that. But I mean, Scorsese made a good characteristic decision to just show very less of him and just kind of make us feel sorry for his stupid ass and just show yeah. that he's he was, what they call the useful. He was the useful idiot. 
than that. He was that. a useful idiot. He knew how to steal the car. He didn't know where to park it. They had to clean up his mess, and just at that point, he was disposable. <laughs> it's just so funny because you see him earlier in the bar. He's partnering with the rest of them, and, you know, with his soon-to-be widowed wife. <laughs> and it's just, right, and he thinks everything's great. Everything's going to be great. I like these guys. They're nice to me. But, but that's, <laughs> what happened to the, that's what happened to the, the real guy whose name I don't know, but he, like, was supposed to get rid of the van they used in the robbery. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, was it? And, and he got loaded, and he forgot. And so the cops found the van before he was able to get rid of it the next day, so they had to kill him. Oh, well. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just shows you, it's like... That is a harsh job evaluation right there. Right. <laughs> You're only as good as your job title. If I get a shitty eval at work, they just tell me to do better. <laughs> right, instead of, by the way, we're just going to, yeah. uh, why don't you do a chore for us here and get the silencer? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel, how did you come across Mr. Mofo Jackson? <laughs> um, probably my earliest memory with him would have to be Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay, perfect. Oh. Yeah, when Same he was Mr. Thing. Arnold. But, Hold uh, on to your butt. <laughs> Hold on to your butts, unless you're Nia Jax. But anyway. Uh, yep. <laughs> But um, actually, I also didn't realize until later, I saw him all the time on TV on, in Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> oh, yes. 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 Nice. <laughs> uh, and see, that that was good timing there, too, because, I mean, he really, just like how Spielberg would, like, produce two movies a year and direct two movies a year, Jackson was, like, starring in, like, three to five movies a year, you know, just like Ernie Hudson and just staying relevant. He knew how to, yeah. I I grew up just again like you say seen him in a good chunk of the blockbusters because you know it, you watch TNT or USA you know every week and there's bound to be some movie he's in that <laughs> he's featured in and uh, he was definitely one of those actors I you know it I I just liked his hip energy you know he'd be serious one in one movie and then he'd be all over the top a jokester in the next movie you. You know, much like Danny Trejo and all these other guys, you never mm-hmm. he might not win awards, but he might as well because he's just you know, a general come, come like to think, come to think of it, how was Samuel Jackson not in Con Air? Right. That was a part of that too. Being Rames and MC Ganey are in it, but he's not in it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I'm I it is a surprising one and it, there's definitely plenty of other roles. I wish he would just stop doing these Avenger movies and just appear in the Expendables already. He should be like the new CIA mentor. He's yeah. like, well, seriously, hold on to your butts, motherfucker. <laughs> just, just come right on in and just even just uh, hold up his finger and just point and just everything instantly blows up. <laughs> just do his maniacal laugh. That That's all I need. <laughs> um, So... Aside from just kind of being in multiple different franchises and everything, uh, Jonathan, how did you come across him and just say, wow, this is one of my favorite actors. I want to check out all his other earlier and later work. <laughs> well, like somebody mentioned before, my introduction was actually Jurassic Park as well. And later on, in fact, the first one I saw in the lead with him was actually my favorite of his, The Long Kiss Goodnight. 
he's good en- he's good enough to be on your profile picture the hitman's bodyguards up there <laughs> oh yeah that was intentional by the way i i love the long kiss i was hoping we were going to talk about the long kiss and i i love well, that we, we will we would definitely oh, yeah. yeah i mean and i think kind of like with schwarzenegger as for lack of a better comparison he is one of those guys i have to reevaluate wait a movie because he's now in it it's no longer just a jack you know a movie it's a jackson movie <laughs> so yep. he, he can do action he can do crime he's been in some sci-fi and horror and mystery movies he he really cannot do any wrong at this point i mean nope he's been in some stinkers yes but never mm-hmm. to the point where you're like at least where I, I any of us would dare say he was the worst part of the movie he just he if he's in a movie you don't even really get a sense that he doesn't care you know that he much like Steve Bashimi, does not ever turn a role down because he knows that mm-hmm. he respects both his brand, but he also knows it's a business. And so, if anything, he at least asks, you know, hey, uh, he's been on the record saying, I don't ask for, you know, much, just a decent trailer. I just want you to give me a good role. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. As opposed to just a movie where I literally just stood there and did absolutely nothing. And I think that's true, too. I can't think of a movie, you know, Maybe save for some of the Avengers where he was just a cameo. I can't think of one where you just see him and you're like, he did nothing, nothing. I, I can't think of that. You know, just, mm. If anything, he has at least one speech or has an outrageous fight scene or just some catchy one liner where you're like, well, <laughs> that at least made this, you know, one out of five star movie, at least a one and a half. You know, just because he said something. You know? Mm hmm. Uh, uh, so I'll get right into it. Um, in no particular order, have any of us seen uh, the part Vietnam and Gulf War type movie, part uh, courtroom thriller, Rules of Engagement? I've seen it. Not all, all right. the way through. All right. By William Friedkin of The Exorcist and French Connection fame, he decided to tackle another movie. Is like, when do you just, you know prosecute someone for a bunch of war crimes and you know contrarian viewpoints and when do you just say hey you know blame blame the mission don't blame the soldier and i've seen a lot of people be divided on this and other people find this i i think this is is at least just kind of an interesting one because again just like 12 Mm -hmm. angry men no one can agree on the viewpoint of it uh Jackson has been in many movies with Tommy Lee Jones, and this is one of them. He gets to act off perfectly against him. Tommy Lee Jones is assigned to him as, you know, his JAG type, you know, lawyer who's like, well, you know, regardless of what he did, you know, he saved my life in Vietnam when my both my legs got shot out. So, you know, at this point, you know, <laughs> I, I got to just say save face in this because this was a failed, you know, Saban ambassador and a bunch of people got slaughtered and it was happened under his command. And it's an interesting kind of just perspective of it all, because regardless of the viewpoint, you're kind of left in the gray and you just have to just say, well, you know, <laughs> he was doing his job, but at the same time could have been averted. And at the same time, was there any, you know, real game plan that would have, you know, the chopper almost got brought down by this rioting crowd. What would have happened anyway? You know, <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think it's, you know, by this point, Jackson's already been in a bunch of legal thrillers. And so when he was in this, this was just 
really kind of, you know, he'd already done soldier rules and already done, you know, legal thrillers. So to see him in this one was kind of icing on the cake where he just got to kind of show, you know, be a stuck up asshole at the beginning who goes, shoot the motherfuckers, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. make him pay. And then here he is just kind of holding back tears saying, you don't get it. You don't get it. You know, having the jarhead mentality. And I think that leads me on to uh, a time to kill which I think we can all quote on here. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Great movie. Great Um, book, great movie. Um, And this is, I think everyone should watch this once a year, given, you know, how white supremacy has only gotten worse in the last 10 years. (laughs) And and just uh, much like, 12 Angry Men and all those other great legal movies that dominated the 80s and 90s. Just a phenomenal all-star cast. You know, Sandra Bullock and McConaughey when they were very young. Then you got, you know, established character actors like Doug Hutchison and Kiefer Sutherland as, you know, the KKK members. Kurtwood Smith is like a crooked judge. He's also like a mm-hmm. KKK guy by night, you know. And Patrick is in that too, right? I say again. I keep thinking Patrick McGoon is in that. I would not be surprised. I know Donald Sutherland is, and uh, uh, Ashley Judd is there as the guy was like, you know, you know, uh, our house almost burned down by these clan members. You know, hubby, maybe you should drop the case. You know, and it just shows you just what people do in a time of fear. And uh, haven't seen Joel Schumacher's recent episode of the directors. It was kind of cool just seeing how, how he brought it. He he did some very gritty movies, but I think he got people to trust him and just he always kind of lit them in the most, you know, moody lighting. And he was I think that's why this movie works so well. You feel the mood circulating through everybody, all the sweat, everything, you know, just beautiful people caught in just, you know. Well, it's basically an R-rated Law and Order episode, but it's something more too. You know, it's it, and people like to even talk about now whether, you know, he would have even gotten off in the first place. It was like, well, I think you're just missing the point of the movie. You're just showing there is black, white. There is no limit to what people will go to to avenge, you know, a wrongful death or rape of a loved one you know it's just like in this case you know his daughter didn't die but she might as well because she got assaulted by a kkk member who you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, just having him say that you know signature line i think really made the movie just even so much more just not only unprecedented but also just absolutely surprising he's been on good courtroom behavior and at this point he's just like you know what <laughs> you're coming at me I'm just going to say it. Yeah, they deserve to die. <laughs> you want to make me look like an animal? Yeah, there you got it. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think this movie just gels as a whole just because, aside from being a fank- thinking man's uh, mystery, it's also just, you know, everybody's just totally well characterized. And, I mean, uh, anyone else who wants to jump in on it <laughs> before we move on to the next one, please. <laughs> I think you said it. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. Alrighty. We said well, I'm gonna just mention his role as 
Mace Windu. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, a lot of people thought he was miscast. Yeah, honestly, I, I thought that was actually... You, yeah, you can get rid of the awful casting of Anakin and all that, but don't... I, I, I see nothing wrong with his Mace Windu portrayal. I thought he was a badass Jedi growing up along with Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon. <laughs> Well, I love that he like requested his own his own specific color right. of lightsaber, and they gave, and they gave it to him Purple. because he's fucking Samuel L. Jackson. So of course you're gonna give him what he wants. Yeah, yeah. Lucas, I've wanted to work with him for multiple years, and he just never got the chance. And it's funny because earlier action figures had his characters lights, and even video game portrayals had his blue. lightsabers blue. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. well, the thing the thing I love is when he's like uh, the second, like the first movie, he's not really in it that much he's kind of like part of the council right yeah the second yeah. attack of the clones when he comes when he when you just see him walking up and he takes the lightsaber and he flicks it on right under christopher lee's chin and he goes this party's this over this party's over it made the trailer it killed and, it was yeah it and then he's the guy that kills jangle fett and then not only that, but participates in the arena. Yeah. And says, this has been a mistake. We're outnumbered. You know, it's yeah. like, good God, this is becoming a Ben Hur type epic with lasers <laughs> and all that shit. <laughs> but the, the thing I loved is when he fought. Um, who was it? He uh, fought like he the was emperor. Fighting, yeah, he was fighting <laughs> Palpatine, and like everybody goes down around him, and he's just like, "All right, I'm going to show you what I can do." And you watch him, and he's, you're like. Wow, you know this is this. They, they this guy they, can go. Yeah, this guy right. can go. But the thing that they expanded more in his characters in the Clone Wars, the cartoon. He's beating droids senseless with just his fists because he's you know a yeah. horse wielder. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that. It's like he's doing kung fu. You know, it's like <clears throat> which would you know foreshadow you know him doing a lot of other action roles. But it was like I remember they they said you know. You know, Samuel Jackson is going to be in Star Wars. I'm like, are they going to be like, is he going to say like, how many times is he going to say like, you know, MF or in the Star Wars movie? You know? Yeah, he had been considered by for so many other roles. And I think he would have been perfect in him. It just it was also one of those where he, you know, again, you know, you don't know what he's going to say. Is he going to be nice yeah. or is it going to be, you know like Pacino or De Niro where he says about, you know, 500 F-bombs. But it was definitely one of those where, uh, it, it, you know, by this point, he had a different type of geekdom. He's no longer restricted to just Spike Lee and Tarantino and, you know, yeah. other kinds of movies. Is like, I'm, I'm really even surprised that people like uh, Joel Silver and Jerry Bruckheimer didn't use him more, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so more or less... Um, I, I think you guys basically said it is he got some reasonable fights and just philosophy to share. And that just kind of made it all the more better. And so I'm going to move it on to the other geek icon. We were just going to mention a uh, long kiss. Good night. <laughs> Hatch, you haven't seen that one. That's a duck, not a dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. God, there's so many quotes, and they are. Lots of yeah, and they're and they're all and they're all his. Um, yeah, oh, he came up with them. <laughs> well, I mean, they're they're lines that he says. I don't know if he oh, came up yeah, with them, but he gets the be, he gets the best lines. He gets the best lines in that movie. Uh, yeah, there you go. I 
have issues with the movie, but there's no denying the action and the lines are <laughs> they're dynamite because they're by Shane Black, who had basically been instructed is like oh. you will do a lethal weapon type movie, <laughs> and once again, like Die Hard, it's going to be set at Christmas. <laughs> and I love his character because he's really basically kind of a schlub. And his story arc takes him at the very end. He says, you know, just one time do something right. And he yeah, does it. And, and he finally quote, gets his he gets his redemption. You know, I love that. The opening quote. And that's why uh, he says at the beginning uh, also made it onto his soundboard that used to be on Realm of Darkness. And that was a side use for prank celebrity prank calls. And. <laughs> 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 And the way he says it is almost how exactly how he says, uh-uh, fat man, this ain't no your goddamn business in fiction. <laughs> oh, God. I'm what does he say when, he, when, they, when he, they see the girl jogging on the side of the road? He says, shit, you got time to comb your hair. <laughs> it's it's almost, the, the way he says that is almost like Chris Pocken. <laughs> I love that I love that line. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jackson, can't do any wrong. Oh, yeah. This used to be a favorite on TBS as well. They would air it like it'd be the midnight movie. <laughs> oh, God. And so on to another role, which he not only played twice, but even during promotion of the initial movie, portrayed the character at a WWE event. <laughs> it is none other than John yeah. Shout the third. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, where Richard Roundtree plays both his uncle and uh, his, and his dad. <laughs> well, they they yeah. retconned retcon it in the in the in the last Shaft movie. And see, I thought that was clever because it was by Kenya Barris, who's best known as the creator mm -hmm. of the Blackish TV franchise, yeah. and is now doing the Coming to America sequel. <laughs> like, that's uh, great. Well, I mean. It, it wasn't um, for everybody, but I, I thought it did have some fun Expendables type moments where they're just flat yeah. out just like, "What are them hipsters and millennials doing nowadays?" <laughs> uh, well, but the the best part of that is watching him and Round, who's like the original, you know, that, uh, um, from the first Shaft series, and then he comes along. And then it's like the grand, you know, the, the son is now like, you know, this like tech guy. But like the, the thing I loved about him doing Shaft was that it was it was a callback to his like it was a callback to that original movie. They um, they did do a lot of that. They they even literally take the exact kind of Motown soundtrack that would have totally yeah. been playing those kinds of movies. With a tribute. Yeah. Oh, total oh yeah. Suck it, Abrams. And, you got nothing. <laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I didn't realize it was the fifth movie. In there, yeah, that meant, yeah. <laughs> because I was Shaft, Shaft returns, Shaft in Africa, then the two thousand movie, and then this one. So yeah, <laughs> it was even a TV show. <laughs> but, you know, I still think the recent one should have been just called Son of Shaft instead of just Shaft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to definitely blame the marketing on that because, I mean, John Davis, you got the producer of the Predator franchise who's done even some other movies with Eddie Murphy and Jackson. And I was like, yeah, I think you can just call it the St. Your Dad Shaft or something like that. I mean, you could have <laughs> yeah. done something. Is like Shaft and Son would have been a lame title, but I'm sure you could have just done something like 
the new shaft or it's all shaft in the family or <laughs> some parody of the whole thing i guess you could have had someone looking like archie bunker in the background who he caps at the beginning i don't know shafts in the shafts on our porch will you hold it there Edith? shaft in the hood i don't know <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna lead us on to another michael Crichton adaptation uh spear anyone ever see this one no spear no yeah, i can't one, one of the uh, ones that is not in this movie uh, nope. one of those it's pretty true to the book so uh yeah and I think I like it, you know, just because Levinston approached it by having elements of horror, mystery, and psychological action. And, yeah, if you want to see them do kind of a lighter alien, abyss type, you know, uh, uh, movie, it Leviathan, it's kind of like that. Um, and, you know, some of the actors kind of are still just in their other roles that, you know, they were already in around the same time. But, you know, Jackson is definitely good here because he hadn't really done as many of these sci-fi horror movies still by that point. And in this one, you know, his character in the book, you know, is already a key person. He's the first person who gets taken advantage of by, you know, the squid's mind control. And, you know, in this one, you never really see the creature. And the movie does a good job of making use of both its lesser budget you know, it was by Barry Levinston, you know, and other people who were used to doing this kind of thing and just being an intelligent, you know, just disaster movie. And uh, it's definitely a Crichton adapted work I would recommend just because, you know, fans of the book won't complain and people who just want a straightforward 90 minute, you know, movie won't be bored with it either and just be laughing at the screen unintentionally. Um We've already mentioned fiction, so let's go on to another Tarantino role, True Romance. <laughs> the, oh, Lord. As the yeah, guy who gets shotgun blasted by Gary Oldman. <laughs> kind of like Goodfellas, he's not a good person, and yet you kind of just feel sorry for his sorry ass, because he's just, he's the messenger, yeah. technically. It's don't shoot the messenger. Loyal. Just One thing about Sam Jackson is that so many movies where he his character dies, he always makes it mean something. Right? His posture in this is really good. Anyone else would have just kind of been looking there, kind of confused, saying, is that what you need? Is that enough? And here, you know, Jackson knows what the scene needs. He's clearly consulted with everyone and ready to stand his own against, you know, dreadlock, you know, psycho, drug-addicted dealer, uh, you know, Gary Oldman. <laughs> Drexel. 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 <laughs> one of his best, one of Elvin's best roles, I think. And I, I don't think anyone will deny that. I mean, <laughs> and, uh, everybody basically is just dynamite performance wise. And so, you know, Jackson is basically a featured cameo, but he makes it mean something by just, again, he's, hey, he's here to do business and give a warning. And <laughs> Drexel is not taken mm-hmm. too kind to his warning and <laughs> says, hey, shit, man, you want my property? You're not leaving here alive. <laughs> and, um, it, it's mm-hmm. almost like something you would detect. I wasn't surprised when Tarantino took on Jackie Brown, which we'll get to later. In fact, yeah. we can talk about now. I mean, because True Romance totally has elements of, you know, a Elmore Leonard movie, so it makes sense that they would both tackle a work like that as 
And the line from Jackie Brown is definitely one of those that's often repeated on video game forums when you positively absolutely got to kill your <laughs> last mofo. <laughs> AK-47s, baby. Um, <laughs> I, I think he elevates this movie for sure. Um, it took me a while to like this movie, but I just love how he gets to play off of Chris Tucker and other, you know, De Niro. He's doing business with just the most petty people on the planet. <laughs> and he's just like, hey, at the end of the day, I am going to kill, you know, uh, Jackie's boyfriend, this record producer dude, and get my money back. <laughs> I think that that was the movie that Robert Forster made like a big comeback into, right? Right. He had been the go-to just grandpa or, you know, FBI agent. And there yeah. he is, you know, and it's so ridiculous how so many people just work for days on end and they're still not known. I'm like, really? I mean, I think you should give, in all honesty, I think you should give presidents to people who are on great behavior and have never given a bad performance over, you know, some big shot just because their money meant a lot at the box office, but they're always late or trashing everybody's trailers. You know? So oh, what can you do with the elites? Um, so I'm going to then tackle on the role as Mr. Glass in Unbreakable and Glass. <laughs> and I got to say, I never would have thought he would have been able to tackle this kind of a psychological, you know, villain role, you know, wheelchair bound, call me mr glass <laughs> i've got to say I mean, with that he he he, um, he looks the part yeah yeah he, he has the bug-eyed intent they they accentuate his eyes and also the way his hair is sort of it makes his entire head look malformed that he he fits yeah. the, the comic book he villain. Looks, uh, he, he looks he like has, a hobo, yeah. and yet here he yeah. is just telling these disturbing stories, and his mother's, you know, uh, looking, or no, his wife is, yeah, or looking over him being like, he's a nice guy. And it's like, no, this guy with his supernatural powers is causing people to burn and incinerate. <laughs> but also the other side of him, he's like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. He won't sell the kid a comic book without like fully interviewing him to determine his, if he's, if the kids got the uh, knowledge. He's the to, chosen to, like, one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of a funny side of him. He's, he's a super villain. Well, we don't know at the time, but he's still this ultimate, you know, comic book nerd who won't, you know, sell the book to the kid because he doesn't have the proper knowledge. He's not worthy. It's kind of funny, kind of a funny uh, other side of the personality. Right. And when he's, you know, gets mugged in the subway, is like you're feeling sorry for this bastard of a person. He's like, damn, that's a lot of leverage to your role, Jackson. And just he, Jackson always will let out this certain, you know, just belt out this, you know, just kind of <laughs> whenever he's in pain and he, he just goes all full throttle in that scene. Oh, so I'm going to then go on to a role that I definitely know no one here has seen. And it's the. Uh, marriage drama called Mother and Child. He plays opposite of Naomi Watts here, and it's a very mature just kind of talk about appreciating the little things in life and making sure, you know, both partners are happy without being a shitty chick flick or, you know, pretentious Oscar drama. This is a really intelligent uh, just drama about family, you know, love, sex, and everything. And yeah. I did not know Jackson mm -hmm. had it in him for this kind of role. And, you know, it's got an all star Flex cast. a little muscle. <laughs> yeah, definitely so. 
Um, <laughs> and so then how about the DJ role and do the right thing? <laughs> and mm. It's got a cool, uh, cool name. Sunnyvale or something like that. <laughs> the Greek court movie. That's the way I look at them. Yeah. And at that point, everybody was honored to just be in this, you know, pioneer. You got Richard Edson from, you know, Strange Days and Ferris Bueller. You got Rudy D. You got Ozzy Davis, Danny Aiello, John Totoro. Everybody is in this movie. And <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, he's, yeah, Mr. Senior Love Daddy is his DJ name. <laughs> Did you ever see the... Uh... The show, The Boondocks, where they did... Uh... He had some great roles on oh, that. Yeah. that yeah. Is for sure. But they did a takeoff on do the thing. Those in the middle of the No one's ever... So they did a little tribute to do the... But yeah, he, he was kind of Kind of like the the Greek chorus in that movie, you know. No, that's very true. And I mean, you mentioned earlier with Loaded Weapon One. I think he was definitely one of the first actors who I just saw. He's comfortable being in anything, whether it's a parody or a serious drama or you know, some other kind of movie that's going to be thrilling and exciting. And this is so. I, I think. Uh, yeah, just seeing him pay tribute to that kind of, you know, important movie uh, that has so many heated issues, and yet you feel like you're witnessing New York street life. Uh, you know, I it, it was he it was definitely an honor that he got to play anything, and you know, play the DJ in the opening that sets the tone for the rest of the movie is definitely you know can't be bad. Um, so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to then move on to another just going apeshit uh, soldier role in Kong Skull Island. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I kept waiting for a shark to jump out and eat him. <laughs> that was an unexpected one for him, in my opinion. Right? I mean, because the whole movie, everybody at first thing, you know, was kind of monstered out. And I had to tell him, no, no, you, you don't get it. This is also a love letter to Apocalypse Now. We're <laughs> I mean, following that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's definitely fun for him because you don't even expect him to be, you know, the good cop, bad cop approach. You just kind of just know that he's kind of a mercenary kind of guy. He's reducing his jail sentence for some other possibly war crime kind of stuff. And, you know, he just, you got all these other uncanny, quirky characters and he gets to play off as, and, you know. Then when at that point when you just see him again, just finally start going gun crazy, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's earned. <laughs> he's been kind of very relaxed, and now he's basically let he, you know, everyone else is basically Colonel Kurtz, but he is basically some other kind of just uh, totalitarian guy who just basically doesn't give a shit about anybody now. <laughs> he's showing his true he's, colors. Now. He, he he's Ahab in this. Yeah, that good comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, 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 he's 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 um. You don't do what he asks. He's, re- he's, re- he's remorseful at the beginning because they're about to be rotated home. He's a soldier without a war now, and then he's thrilled when they give him another assignment. He's thrilled to go back into battle and even to take his guys with him. Uh, and they're willing yeah. to go with him. They worship the man. They they worship the man like a god. Like 
the men on the, the and it's said during the 70s so that means a lot more too i mean jackson has aged pretty well so we were just able to just kind of just say okay yeah he's an older gent <laughs> it's hard to and believe he got he got and he got the fight he'd always wanted he got the fight he always wanted and to him you know taking down a giant you know mutant ape is no different than you know again ordering the execution of a traitor to him it's just second nature <laughs> and yeah uh, so are we gonna we're, are we gonna we're yeah. gonna we're not gonna talk about his death in, blue, in deep blue sea? Oh, we 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 we, we oh. uh, okay, fine. Let's let, let's let's go into that. So, <laughs> I love his death really in deep blue sea. There, I'm done. But, oh yeah. But but he he definitely yeah he he this is where he started being the go-to guy in creature movies, and so you just see him just give that speech, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> It's like he's giving this speech and then eaten by a fucking shark. <laughs> oh man! And it kind of pales in comparison to Robert Shaw and Jaws. You know, you know he's like he gives <laughs> certainly quicker. This it's is just like and to make uh, it weird is all the sharks basically die the same way oh. that the ones die in the first three movies. I'm like, okay, that's pretty wild that they did that. <laughs> We could do oh, a whole episode on just on Robert Shaw's character in Jaws. We could do a whole episode just on Quint. Oh, we absolutely could. Yeah. Oh, yes, God. Best Everything. movie speeches set in creature features. Um, so I'm going to move this on to another movie that's becoming a franchise for Jackson, and that's Jonathan's uh, uh, avatar photo, uh, The Hitman's Bodyguard. <laughs> Seen this movie <laughs> dozens of times because it basically, the whole time, He's playing an impressive hitman who's killed like over 150 people. And it's just fun mm. just seeing him and Ryan Reynolds play up the whole, you know, buddy formula, like 48 hours more particularly, while also kind of making fun of winking constantly at his role in Pulp Fiction. Just he's like, hey, yeah, I kill people, but I'm a cool dude. <laughs> the essence of being him. Oh, yeah. And how he always. Well, there's that basically it, and it's just wild just seeing seeing him near the end when he's just storming through the supermarket, and you know, taking doing total Grand Theft Auto and trying to a bunch of hitmen are trying to kill him, and all he has in response to him is just flipping him off because he doesn't have a weapon. <laughs> oh, That's what I love the most. Yeah, I can't wait for the sequel, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Um. So then I'm going to go yeah. into another one that not many people saw, where he plays the president. So hold on to your butts. It's called Big Game. And basically, it's, it was by the uh, same people who did Rare Exports. And it's kind of a hard target surviving the game kind of can't be premise. <laughs> Morgan Freeman must have been busy. I guess so. But what's funny about this one is he just he gets to use a machine gun at the very end. And the entire time he's learning how to kind of hunt these guys who are trying to kill him in the woods. And I I wasn't surprised to see that, of course, you know, it was a crooked guy on Secret Service planted by the vice president trying to kill him. But it was also funny because the crooked Secret Service guy is Ray Stevenson because it does kind of have a Punisher Warzone kind of feel to it. <laughs> oh, it's actually worth watching mm. if you just want another campy, outrageous movie. <laughs> Oh, Air Force One meets Hard Target. There you go. So going on another movie from 2014, uh, the update of RoboCop. 
replays uh, Rush Limbaugh. Oh, must we? Well, I thought his Bill O'Reilly portrayal was kind of interesting because that's who they based on for his talk show host. He's basically muting everybody about a corporation. The movie you're either going to like or hate, I thought, compared to other remakes, I liked how it was actually comfortable being its own thing instead of just redoing every single scene, doing a, actually getting inside what Robo actually looks like instead of trying to, let's try and outdo it. It's like, well, you can't outdo it, you know? So they just did their own thing, and it was by the people who did Elite Squad, so it was a whole different movie, but it's not for everyone. But uh, I still haven't like seen that. it. So. Okay, well, it's kind of interesting how he just interrupts everybody. He's like, ah, 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 your time is up, <laughs> Congressman. <laughs> so then do another one. It's basically his taken man on fire. He in the Samaritan. He plays an ex-con who gets into another just final heist and finds out a bunch of other just deadly secrets. This is an interesting neo-noir where he's at a bar and... Again, someone makes a scene, he has already told them off multiple times, and he just finally just whacks the guy into the damn bar, and the guy just dies instantly, because, you know, he, he's hit in, like, the throat. And then he, uh, the guy, uh, the bar uh, bartender's like, oh, what do you want me to do with the body? I'm used to dealing with, you know, creeps like this who never show up again, and Jackson's like, I'll deal with them. You take the tip. <laughs> and so it's an interesting neo-noir film that's pretty comfortable being its own gritty side and uh jackson at one time before we find out uh and he's got like some kind of terminal disease just randomly just starts crying very believable not in just a it's just more like uh, he starts coughing and everything and and just seeing him in that i was like okay cool to see him do this can't remember the last time he got very emotional like that usually he mixes emotion with shouting very loud in here Got to kind of show a vulnerable two, side. Two modes, normal and Samuel L. Jackson. Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Turn on, turn off. So has anyone seen the indie comedy, which he did the same year as Pulp Fiction, called The Search for One-Eyed Jimmy? Can't say I have. I no, think I can find this on YouTube. He plays off of both Negative. Nick and John Totoro and Steve Buscemi. He plays this weird... It's basically a bunch of homeless losers just going after this guy who they think has been murdered by this other crime guy. And it's just it's just this total just camp fest, just very quirky. It's I think I have the region two DVD somewhere. It's actually region free, but it has it claimed it was in PAL format. It's just a very wacky movie. And um, it, it, it just it goes by at the speed of light. And it's one of those. You, you never hear of, but you always see it at the $5 Walmart bin, and it's actually not half bad. And uh, just it creates its own just outrageous mystery as it just keeps going on and on and on. <laughs> oh, on the next one, we already talked about Boondogs. So, uh, how about the Sunset Limited? It's basically a one act stage play uh, that was written by and directed by and co star Tommy Lee Jones, where the he and Jones just basically play friends with rival viewpoints, just having a very stubborn uh, dinner conversation. It's pretty edgy for an HBO, you know, movie of recent years, but I was taken aback by it because I didn't expect it to be that kind of just well orchestrated, just 
a one location, one just kind of gimmick. And uh, before I knew it, it, it just time had gone by fast. It was just a straightforward kind of interesting character study. <laughs> you felt the filmmakers managed to make just kind of the quirks of real life very interesting instead of just Phil on inspired and just record with a camera one day. So Sunset Limited, everybody. Hmm. Um, I'm on to the next one. Hmm. And I know this is John's favorite. The Negotiator. Oh. Yeah. Every what Saturday on, on TV. Right. <laughs> yeah. And just who'd have thought? It's like usually it was, you know, good or bad. We'd already had movies like He and everything, two actors playing against one another. And it's like at this point, it's like, okay, so we're going to do a Dog Day Afternoon diehard type scenario. But the guy who takes over the building isn't a terrorist, isn't a bad guy. It's an anti hero who's trying to figure out who framed him <laughs> it's a fugitive yep. <laughs> instead of tommy lee jones telling the swat team to hold their fire it's you know kevin spacey but <laughs> and to make up for it jackson does call her multiple times during the movie so <laughs> there's that well unique <laughs> unique bit of role reversal but uh samuel L. jackson him playing like a hans gruber type character would be so brilliant i uh, you know i I'm surprised he hasn't. <laughs> I guess as close as he got was the spirit. Oh, love to see that. Please, please let's not mention the spirit. <laughs> oh, about that movie That's ever not, again. That's not. No. <laughs> You're killing John, guys. Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. I think the negotiator was interesting because basically, you know, it was, you know, we were so used to people doing kind of knockoffs and rival twin movies at that time. And this movie just took the best elements of heat and the fugitive and die hard. And then kind of just put it an extra step further. And you had a big all-star cast. And uh, even when you know the mystery, it's still got a few other extra layers to it. So it doesn't feel like it's just a happy ending or a last minute resort is like, okay, but, this person got killed because of this and did the framing because of that. And there's plenty of other people who you think, well, you know, because they're cops and they're a union, maybe they're partial to it or possibly knew about it. So it really does, you know, pretty impressive by F. Gary Gray to try going up a step notch further and try and be kind of like a sold on Precinct 13 or Serpico. And Hmm. I think that's why it's often held as one of the best, you know, crooked cop, you know, action dramas. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for it. <laughs> uh, I guess we're moving on. Um, uh, Formula yeah. 51. Anyone's ever seen this? I've never seen this one. Okay. It's also known as the 51st state. So basically long story short, Robert Carl and Jackson play drug dealers who go on wacky car rides. It was by Ronnie Yu of, you know, Freddie versus Jason oh, fame. And, uh, it's definitely an interesting kind of it definitely will remind people of those kind of you know snatch and those other tarantino kind of movies uh the british twist to it isn't half bad i just remember seeing endless trailers for it and that was you know 2002 was definitely a big year for jackson he was in fucking everything in that time and i was like oh yeah okay interesting seeing all these you know tanks and you know drug explosions and everything um yeah, once again, if you like just outrageous 
action crime comedies, I think you might find this to be an interesting music video styled movie. Especially if it's in- the one thing I can say about <laughs> Formula Fifty One is there there was a guy at work named Brad. If Brad, if you're listening, what's up? He knew more about movies than anyone I know, and he kept recommending this to me. Like he kept saying, "Why have you not watched this?" And I never did watch it. So Brad, I'm sorry, but he, <laughs> this, movie came, this move this movie came with his highest recommendation, and coming from Brad, that meant something. And I'm sorry that well, I have never seen it. There is a gory explosion at the end, so I, it's definitely up your alley. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to definitely check it out. I think you can find it definitely in one of those Mill Creek Blu-ray or DVD multi-packs. It, it's got to be on there by now. It's not. It did not make much money, but it it had a high user score, and of course, I think even Roger Ebert even liked it. So there you go. <laughs> Just, and look wow. what look what happened to him. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't think there's, I don't think there's a correlation there though. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so years ago, Matt Damon and Jackson were actually considered for the roles, uh, in training day with Damon as the good cop, Jake and, uh, <laughs> Jackson and Denzel's role of Alonzo, the bad cop. And that did not happen. But what did happen was Jackson got to play a evil cop in Lakeview Terrace. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. It was definitely kind of a slow burn, iffy kind of movie. I don't think Patrick Wilson is much of an actor, but I do recall it being pretty watchable when it kind of ran out of ideas. It was done, you know, it it felt like it was a 90s movie that somehow got delayed and finally pushed back to finally here. And it's like, well, (laughs) why didn't this come out around the same time as, you know, Unlawful Entry, you know, Pacific Heights, all those kinds of movies? (laughs) Yeah. I I I was about to say. They almost got lost to the shuffle, you know, when you think about it that whole time. You, know, you, know? I, you didn't know what to expect from Screen yeah. Jams because they were doing so many crappy action and horror movies at that time. And here, lo and behold, here's a mystery movie. <laughs> it was like, OK, well, is it going to be any good? And it was also just one of those, depending on the audience or critic, it had like a 60 to 70 percent. So based on who you asked, determined who actually recommended it so it is one of those i can't full-heartedly recommend but it's definitely an atypical jackson bad guy role in home invasion type movie but at the same time it doesn't really make good on its ideas so if you see it on tv you might give it a watch otherwise you also i mean it really just depends on how big a fan of jackson you are (laughs) Yeah, that's my opinion as well on that one, pretty much. (laughs) It's a fun movie, just, I don't think it's aged well. It feels, particularly with, like, uh, events of the last several years, like, uh, that whole concept just just won't stand the test of time. That is also a good point, too, and... Uh, Kerry Washington also pretty much has a nothing role. It's like, seriously, why did every female role, I saw a correlation in the 2000s where it's like, they got nothing to do except say, oh, honey, I hope you're okay. Or Pretty much, yeah. And it's just like, uh, then why even yeah. cast it if you're not going to make use of the actor or the actress? is stupid, but whatever. Uh, 187. This is another movie he did where he played uh teacher at a chaotic high school finding out some shady secrets about various people 
It's another uh, one that hasn't aged as well due to some statutory, you know, predicaments. Um, uh, but uh, it's also kind of renowned because at near the end, the movie just uh, the more moody it gets, the more striking colors it uses, and then it has a deer hunter style Russian roulette session where you know uh, the gangsters who shot. Are, right <laughs> the gang members who are harassing Jackson say, "Okay, let's figure it out this way." <laughs> that was the one with the the Pyrrhic victory at the end, right? The girl makes the speech about the the Pyrrhic victory. I don't recall that. Yeah. Uh, I do. All I know is it was just a earlier role for Clifton Collins Jr. and a bunch of other just very talented actors. Um, but yeah, I, it's another thriller. It's like it, it was just always at the video store, and it's like okay, interesting. Um, but again, lost in the shuffle. So I'll go with the better known role as none other than Zeus in Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third. Movie in that uh, franchise. Liked it. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. <laughs> and just, and but I like, I, like, I like his role in that because he obviously has a chip on his shoulder, but the reason he gets drawn into the entire uh, you know, uh, conundrum is that he wants to keep Bruce Willis from getting beat to death. Right. You know I mean? and, he, and, he just he goes it, out there... And just to, and he doesn't even like you know he says I don't even like white people but he does it to save a man's life and he winds up getting drawn into this fucking you know mushy gosh right uh, that's exactly it because he'd done all these hood roles and here he is playing a guy in the hood who's just like I can't stand those guys who are fucking up our neighborhood but you just invite all the trouble because now you know they're gonna come to right. my store every and probably right every cop is gonna be <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I thought that was a nice twist on the character you know you expected and, one thing and. And McLean repays him by tricking him to help him. Thanks, McLean. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's also kind of wild too how Jackson has to be taught how to use a gun. <laughs> you know, he only knows how to use a pistol. He doesn't know how to use, be used uh, machine guns. So then, lo and behold, you know, Jeremy. Irons doesn't even is, comment. On, doesn't even comment on that. Does he say, "Well, just because I'm from you know the neighborhood, I, I know how to use a machine gun." Yeah, which is which, which is pretty. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> oh boy, it's great. Mm -hmm. And fun fact: the kids playing his nephews are. Aldous and Edwin Hodge, who are real life brothers who have since gone on to have successful careers. Edwin mostly in TV and Aldous on various shows I like. Oh, you, you, you did that? Yeah. Yeah. He later went on to. Well, I, was saying, I found it out years ago and I was surprised that was them. So. Right. Leverage and Turn and Underground and Walking Dead. He Aldous got to be on. And Aldous even had a brief role in part five, but let's move on to <laughs> a, a movie that Jackson actually is. In. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's go with the Great White Hype. I've actually not watched this one. <laughs> I this is another comedy. It depends on your mileage. I there's plenty of movies which I'll watch, and I the, the language isn't uh, you know it is R rated, but not helping it. And then there's other movies where it's like okay. Yeah, this is just a long ass stretch, you know, in between laughs. So it's not, it's a pretty mediocre abyss. This one, whatever you do, don't watch it on regular TV, but it's got an all star cast that includes, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Corbin Burnson, Peter Berg. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I, I really did have a fun time with it because even though the director, Ron Shelton, disowned it, I'm surprised he didn't disown Hollywood Homicide. There's worse movies on your fucking resume, dude. But uh, on this one, I, I think what this one gets right is just making fun of just the toxic culture of, you know, athletes and boxing people. And <laughs> uh, you got Jamie Foxx as the rival champ and uh, Damon Wayans in a funny one. Uh, John Lovitz in there as a guy, tr- as a businessman betting on the team. And it, just an outrageous movie altogether. I, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah, I definitely got to check that one out. And, me. Did anyone else see this one or catch it on TV at one point? I remember remember seeing it and they, they actually did. I mean, they did it where Jackson's character is almost like a, a Don King kind of character. That's totally what they're based him off as. (laughs) And the thing I love about it is they do the one scene where they're doing the weigh in and, Damon Wayans like has that thing where like you know the fighters have the bloated gut a little bit, right? And it's like it was like I remember watching Wayans and like that actually would happen. You know the the guy would show up and the he have like a belly on him and you'd be like, is this guy really freaking fighting? Uh, exactly. You know? It's just showing you how the whole just oh you're good enough to fight. It's like no you're not good enough to fight. Yeah. <laughs> This person is gonna cost you more money over time because you know they're not ready to fight. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, when did that come out? That came out in ninety six. Uh, so. It got overshadowed by Goldblum's oh. other hit movie of uh, uh, you know Independence Day. But it's also funny seeing him in this because you know out of all the people who you can easily imitate, you know, because of their larger than life persona, seeing him in here as a guy who's having to. Pl- play opposite of Jackson, maybe even try buying, you know, into his, you know, gambling ring. It, it is pretty wild how that goes. Peter Berg is hysterical as the guys in the locker room getting blowjobs. <laughs> it's hey, not an over... It? Yeah, 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 before he was, you know, he, he was just off of Chicago Hope when he was doing this, so it is a fun... But it is kind of a funny early film appearance for him. Uh John Rice Davies, that's right, indie. <laughs> nice. Is here. Cheech Marin is there. Sully Richardson. Uh, definitely the best movie Jamie Foxx ever made. So I'll just put it there. <laughs> He's done some stingers. <laughs> oh, so on to another noir that's a favorite of John's. Uh, Kiss of Death. Mm-hmm. Of the 1947 huh? noir film. I would just always see this on cable tv and what was always just so funny is you know nicholas cage is kind of one of the few movies i could stand him in even to this day where he you know before he became mr bad movie himself uh, he was you know going around causing mayhem it was david caruso's attempt at being a movie star that didn't pan out but it's an interesting noir piece and um uh jackson plays again uh one of the guys in law enforcement helping him get a conviction on Cage's, you know, kingpin. And it was always so funny because depending on what channel I was uh, was on, I could tell which one, you know, was the safe-to-air version of the movie versus the not-safe-to-view version because there's a lot of scenes in a strip club. So it was always just one of those I would catch on TV and I was like, because it had similar titles to other movies in Jackson's filmography, I, I didn't necessarily know which one, you know, 
he had a big role and this one does have an interesting role where he just flat out socks uh, Caruso in the face. <laughs> he just flat out just punches him in the face. Is like, there, now we're even. What do you need my Let's help? Pull about the vest and assert yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before you go making fun of yourself, putting on your shades, how about I just give you a fucking slug to the face? <laughs> oh, God. Anyone else ever see that one, or was it just one of those like got lost in the shuffle in the video store? <laughs> I really like this. I, I thought uh, Nicholas Cage's performance was great. Very terrifying guy. Before he started doing the whole, you know, is like he's yeah, yeah, out. right. But but uh, yeah, right. it wasn't the movie that sort of like <laughs> like after David Caruso thought he was going to be hot shit and then uh, wasn't really, and this movie sort of started him back on his career back sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. This and Jay, I thought he did good at just still being in Jim Kelly and YPD Blue mode. But like you said, he got a little bit full of it. He got a little bit full of himself, and then, but this movie was sort of the the beginning of his path back to success. I just love watching the original uh, First Blood, the first Rambo movie, and seeing him in it. Right, he was about. He looked like he's about fourteen in it. It's great. Absolutely, I, I, I think. We were even watching some older shows he was on, and it is the same thing. It's like, good God, he looked younger than he actually was. And it's just so wild how he wanted to be taken serious, and he had this ego and narcissism that was just <laughs> to the point where everyone just was like, okay, fuck it, do it your way. But as, as soon as we rap, we're not, you're not coming to the rap party. <laughs> oh. Uh, and, I will say, as far as remakes go, the movie holds its own. the The original movie is a good, you know, black and white uh, noir piece. But you know, oh this... come on, no, you got no. I I got to disagree with you because Richard Widmark is Tom is Tommy Newell. Newell. <laughs> that's true. Wow. No, that's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, I I just like what I'm trying to get as I like both movies as their own thing versus as where you look at the remake and all you get is, Oh, less, 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 less. <laughs> but yes, Widmark is an excellent actor. That is true. <laughs> oh, it's probably ironically. It's one of the first movies that comes up on his resume. Each time you Google his name. So there you go. That's how important a role it is. So got to go with, the HBO prison drama against the wall. This was heavily talked about on John Frankenheimer's episode of the directors. And how could it not be? It was a very restricted budget made for like just 2 million. And again, the same thing, you know, at that point, Frankenheimer was a has been, and you know, he didn't know when his next gig was coming in because everyone liked him, wanted to work with him, but his last movies had underperformed and it, just was beyond his control and he started kind of becoming the go-to guy doing a bunch of hbo original movies and this was the first one you know just seeing the actual attica prison riot as it went down you know Kyle McLachlan, definitely a better role for danny trejo and it's an interesting just prison drama how it just documents the whole thing without just you know feeling like violent mess so to speak anyone else ever catch this one what was it called against the wall okay when did that come out 94 okay hang on a minute i do remember that coming out for some strange reason 
No, it's all good. It, I yeah. really dug how, you know, Kyle McLachlan, you know, he was perfectly cast here because, you know, he's fresh off Twin Peaks and a bunch of other cult movies like The Hidden. And yeah. here he's playing the rookie prison guard who gets to understand this guy who's leading a prison revolt, you know, against crappy conditions and utter turmoil. Um, there basically was a, a war happening in a prison, you know. <laughs> As they often do. Yeah. Oh, there go. Oh, there go. <laughs> no, almost, almost like almost like a prototype for Oz. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I I'm I definitely I, I have no doubt that one of the producers was looking at, you know, the returns on that movie and its reception. He's like, We you know so whenever Tom Fontana St. Elsewhere said, How about we do that? He he was instantly gonna say yes the minute he heard prison drama. <laughs> uh Oz is such a great show. Can't recommend it enough. Surprised Jackson wasn't on there. Uh, he would have fit right in. He, he would have totally been a perfect prison warden. <laughs> as much as I love Ernie Hudson, it would have been interesting seeing him on there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with another bad guy role. Meeting, meeting evil. Okay, well... It's not the greatest, but it is interesting seeing him do a full-blown collateral hitcher-type psycho role. <laughs> when did that come out? Uh, it was around... had to be 2012, around the time that everyone was embracing, you know, limited releases. And... Not not his biggest must-see movie, but if you just want just a random serial killer causing mayhem, it's absolutely worse. <laughs> So on to Afro Samurai. <laughs> as soon as I saw my brother and I would watch endless episodes of MXC Most Extreme Elimination Challenge and just see endless ads for that. And he was like, There's no way that's a real movie. I'm like, it's a real show. <laughs> Afro Samurai. Honestly, I can't see him not being in this. He had to be in it, you know? And just the Raza doing music for it with some neat jams and <laughs> really was kismet. Just such a fan of martial arts movies. I, I on occasion I've seen a, a a rumor that they were considering a live action movie. I'm like, well, you missed your boat, but you should totally do it. It would kill. <laughs> it was on uh, Spike TV, but right. same kind of difference. Yeah. Same kind of difference. Uh, I would have totally normally seen, after especially seeing Jackson on Boondocks, <laughs> for this to be on the Tanami block, but it's too gory, so there's no way they would have aired it. <laughs> oh, I had a love-hate relationship with it, but at the end of the day, you, you end up kind of just having a little fun with it, even though it's not the best. Just that urban twist to it is just enough. <laughs> and Jackson... The reason I'm recommending this, this technically counts as like three different roles, but for the sake of this 50 plus roles, I'm just going to contain it as one because he does also voice a few different other people in it, including like an old sensei and <laughs> grandfather to town who's like, oh, you're going to put someone's eye out with that Negro, you know, <laughs> shit like that, just going around. Just and like, uh, I, I do believe that is pretty much what it directly inspired the Boondocks, but particularly his role. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was around the same time ish. So, but I definitely made him start getting more animated appearances. We'll mention some of them. I'm going to definitely uh, bring up his. He's like in the first or second season of Law and Order. And it's interesting him seeing him there because, you know, at that time, that was everybody's dream. Still is to some people be on a hit show. And there he's playing a district attorney, just flat out just saying right up, hey, this case isn't going to go well if you play that card, yada, yada. And it's just so interesting just seeing him with glasses. And <laughs> a departure for him. Oh, yeah. Especially at that time, 1991. Jesus. <laughs> Ow. And brings us on to another atypical role that I saw just played endlessly is now playing on pay-per-view. Changing lanes. Anyone ever see this one? Yes. It's a like it or hate it kind of movie. And it's kind of like falling down where it's just basically you're just getting the rage. And I wish they would make more. It's one of those, I don't like Ben Affleck's arc, but I do like Jackson's arc where he's just a frustrated dad and businessman. <laughs> they kind of want to get revenge on each other. And it's one of those, I think the biggest disappointment is it's set in L.A. It should have made better use of the L.A. scenario. Yeah, it kind of fades away in the background after a while. But it's definitely another movie. I kind of have a love-hate relationship. I don't enjoy sitting down for it in one scoop, but I do like seeing clips of it on occasion. <laughs> Same here. You know. Oh, God. But like JJ just pointed out, it is kind of one of those, is like, it, so much fucking potential. <laughs> it's, it's, you think the movie's going to go places, and yep. then it's just like... It gets very uh, messy uh, when it had to go there. You know, uh, Tony Collette's a great actress, and it's like the minute it gets into that whole "I'm getting a divorce," is like, why is this portion in the movie? <laughs> uh, so we already mentioned Loaded Weapon One. Has anyone seen? I, I know most people have seen Patriot Games, but I actually like his CIA agent role in that. <laughs> yep. Now, did uh, he, he took he took over for did he take over for? Uh... The James Earl Jones no, character? No, no, James is still in it. He's playing a different character, but he's kind of assigned to be kind of a protected escort, just kind of make sure that Ryan's Jack Ryan's family is in good hands. And it's okay. just so funny at one point, uh, 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 Harrison Ford has an angry confrontation with Richard Harris, who's kind of sponsoring these IRA-type activity at a bar. And then he goes back to like his portion of like the Pentagon or West Wing type area where they meet with Joint Chiefs type people, and he's recounting this to him. And Jackson just like flat out just puts his hands up, saying, "Well, shoot, man, I hope you don't lose your anger out on me." <laughs> it's just funny seeing him be an innocent kind of bystander kind of role. <laughs> he gets to take out a bunch of Sean Bean's, you know, terrorist henchmen. So that's kind of cool. We should also mention one other. From the same year, the Sam Jackson White Sands. That was the one I was gonna definitely mention next. This is another one that just flew under the radar. You remember William Defoe and Evil Mickey Rourke? Just around the time when every movie is kind of having to be like, uh, you know, someone to watch over me and Point Break. And this is another kind of noir type film. And Jackson basically plays the superior of Defoe's, who may or may not be dead. 
or an imposter. You know, it's just one of those kinds of movies. Like, no one is who they say they're going to be. And anyone who said they had it all figured out, you are a liar. It's not hard to figure out, but you did not have it all figured out in frame one. <laughs> yeah, you know, so lying. Even with all the movies and shows now that are just trying to outdo usual suspects, <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> this is a very twisted movie, very well done by uh, uh, Roger Donaldson, I believe. And yep, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost said Spot is Wood, different, awesome UK filmmaker. Um, yeah, that one had a lot of interesting twists in it that I actually I did think was very clever. Particularly with Sam Jackson's character. I yeah. was pleasantly surprised. And I think the main issue was I would see it on different channels or something, and you gotta be in the right kind of mood to just get into this because yeah. this this is relentless from that point on. And uh we would not be a Jackson list if you know we already mentioned coming to America and Deep Blue Sea. If we did not mention Jungle Fever. Oh. Hmm. As drug addicted brother <laughs> uh you know and, and hearing jackson talk about this role and how it basically you know he had some kind of drug addiction at that point he just getting so into character he realized oh wow i could actually die like gator you know <laughs> gotta give up drugs <laughs> and uh playing off against you know crackhead uh holly berry and established brother uh you know wesley snipes i think that was just kind of what was interesting to this whole movie there's areas of it that i don't think have aged well but it's still an interesting social commentary kind of movie mm-hmm. oh how about snakes on a plane oh uh, <laughs> that was coming up monkey fighting snakes on a monday to friday plane <laughs> oh that's a great movie to watch i got to watch it um with my ex-wife when we were still married. And, oh, uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't had... tell me this was a date night movie. <laughs> no, no, this is one of, no, this was one no of wonder those... why she's his ex. <laughs> no, this is one of those movies, like, she picked up, she said, hey, let's watch Snakes on a Plane. And I'm like, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> okay. I, okay. And I started watching it, and I got, I was getting into it because it was like, it was just it was just such a far fetched idea for a movie. Mm-hmm. A guy who's a witness to a crime is going to be killed when a guy puts a whole shitload of snakes on a plane and Samuel Jackson has to freaking uh protect him and he says one of the best line you know, all these mother I'm gonna you can say all these motherfucking snakes on my plane. It's just that line is just like boom and and to me, it, it's a fun, it's a big, stupid movie to watch. It really is. It's yeah. Cool. You know, uh, David R. Ellis, who had actually, I, who had worked previously with Jackson as the second unit director on those uh, Jack Ryan adaptations, as well as Final Destination 2 and 5, you know, it made sense that this was just a very lowbrow, campy action horror movie. People were going to be squiggling in their seats and then losing their breath. And, you know, I did see a bootleg of it at the time, didn't care for it. But then, you know, I just, I eventually kind of, you know, as my love of just so bad they're good or just outrageous party movies increased, I just started saying, okay, you know, this movie might have an identity crisis. And the studio, this was before you had red band trailers where they would show, you know, the explicit R-rated content on the, before it came out. 
But what was interesting about this movie is it was just so hyped up. People were doing fan art for it, using other moments of Jackson's likeness, and people didn't care that it wasn't it wasn't in on the joke or it was just an outrageous, you know, eighties type of crazy, you know, zany kind of movie. Is like, well, regardless, now we got again. Uh, all the channels had their work cut out for it on how they choose to censor it when they air it. And then like you say, there's just so many people are just quoting the line and this one was made with the intent of it being slaughtered on network TV. It was like, yeah, it it was, it was an internet meme before it was even an it. That was even a thing. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the thing is I got to say with that is you've got Juliana Margulies, who I think it just left ER and go ship. Oh, and, and then you've got then you've got Ian Thompson. Yeah, of SNL just, and David Koester from Anchorman yeah. the pilot. And then you got all these CGI snakes. And then you know he's uh, like, he's, I don't know how to fly a plane. He's like, wait, I thought you knew how to fly a plane. I just play it on the. Uh, he says only I play it on the Xbox on my computer. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, I'm like, oh great! This is gonna, this is like one of these movies where it's gonna be like, like it's gonna be like a bad episode of Laverne and Shirley where they're gonna have to learn how to fly the plane. You right? Know? You thought MacGyver but, was campy. This is for real, and yet so fucking ridiculous. And yeah. But this was the movie. I think Mystery Science. I think that when Mystery Science Theater or um, was starting out, they were like, "Do you want to riff it?" And I know, I think they they're like, "Probably not," because it's too over the top. But they're definitely going to yeah. take on other movies. <laughs> but what gets me is David Keck, uh, Kochner is in it. He was on the SNL for like one or two seasons. Yep. And he, I, you know, I was like, I was like, "What's he doing here?" You know. But the, 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 the premise of, of <laughs> it, the premise of it being, you know, these snakes, and you can tell they're CGI. By, yeah, um, yeah. You, CGI, and you're watching him, and he's like, he's like, he's like, he's just like, is like at that point where he's like at the breaking point, and then all of a sudden he's like, he's like, no, wait a minute, hold on, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, and it, it's a fun movie to watch. I don't know why people were like, people were so burnt. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a great movie. You know, it, kind it is of, kind of. It's, it's also one of those, depending on your mood, I mean, most people are not going to even check it out just because it's just such an outrageous premise, but for those of us who just like just wacky movies, it, I mean, I'm sur- I would be surprised if anyone hasn't seen it, because it, it is interesting just seeing Jackson kind of just having to realize he must anchor the movie by Act 2, after yeah, what starts out as a witness protection movie, and then becomes a creature yeah. feature. <laughs> <laughs> And they're setting all these snakes on fire, and you know, the guy in witness protection ends up accidentally getting shot by him because there's a snake, you know, coming out of him like alien. <laughs> True. Think we lost him. Yeah. Can barely hear you. Yeah, I, I can't hear you, JJ. Can't hear you, JJ. Breaking up here, buddy. JJ. Ah. Oh dear. No. Oh dear. 
I got some pills to swallow. <laughs> no one knows. I don't know. We're losing you. We're losing you. Yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> okay. JJ, dude. <laughs> okay. Has anyone seen? That's where I'm gonna have to insert a commercial break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, let, let's hear some Incredibles jokes. Where's my super suit? Yeah, where's my super suit? <laughs> Honey. Honey, where's my super suit? <laughs> Playing a guy named Frozone, totally based on mm-hmm. a mixture of Iceman. <laughs> That's what I said. There are too many ice-based superheroes. I, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Freeze, all that shit. I... It's interesting how The Incredibles kind of evolved and they took fucking forever to do a sequel to it. And that was like one of the few family friendly movies Jackson was in. And yet, oh, I saw that. Uh, Get you back on. Hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, I'll. Anyone has any incredible stories they want to share, you can do that. Otherwise, I'm, <laughs> I got nothing else. It's other than that, it's a very quotable movie. Yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing it in the theater and I remember liking it as a kid and still like it to this day. But it's not one of my favorite MF films, but I can still watch it. Not sure what it took so long to make the sequel. Uh, politics, I think. Pixar having a different thing. Probably last year firing also probably interfered with a bit. <laughs> That's probably true. When you're working okay. with Toxic. There we go. He's back there. on. I added you back to the call. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah, so so uh it, yeah, we we we've pretty much wrapped up snakes. Just, like you oh. say, just it was an absurd movie. Uh do you have any stories of the Incredibles? <laughs> you know, I saw the Incredibles when it came out and I'm going to say this being a comic book fan, it was a great testimony and to see his character, you know, be a henpecked husband. Right. Because, no, no time for know. family or kids. And what he loves nothing more than anything is to just stop, you know, trains from falling Crimes. off the tracks. <laughs> but the part I love is when he's like arguing with his wife, have you seen my suit? You know, and the whole the argument nature. is back and forth. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's like, what superhero would not, like, you know, you don't see Superman arguing with Lois Lane, you know. <laughs> this, is, this was just something. Whatever, you know, honey. You know? It's over I'm, there on I'm the dining mad. table. <laughs> yeah. I'm mad he didn't go in the second. Did he, was he in the second one or no? Yeah, he was. He was in the second one. Okay. He was in the second one. It okay. really wouldn't be the incredible without first. him. <laughs> but yeah. That's what I mean. His character separated is that him and uh, him and Craig T. Nelson's character were like buddies. Right. They're and at the same exact about all the office. other guys that were like, <laughs> you know, so that's, what made, that's what made that character so good. You know, I mean, he was just, mm-hmm. he was just fun to watch. And, you know, he was cool too. you know, to see him just, character like that you know he's not he's not secondary here he's he's 
There we go again. Hey, you okay there, buddy? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, other than that one, I, I think really what it did so well was just, like you say, just make fun of the tropes that you typically say and then do just little minor things like here's what how a superhero gets lunch while at their day job here's how they save an incident uh, i mean you even have multiple you even have a spoof of his moment in die hard free where he's stopped by a subway cop and he's like <laughs> uh, i'm getting a glass of water don't shoot me <laughs> so, yeah it's pretty wild um I do recommend the period piece uh, drama Ragtime, which was one of the first movies he did. He's basically yep. a featured extra in this, but it's also Cag James Cagney's final role. Yeah, as He's the... The revolutionaries. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, and Cagney... Cagney kind of steals the show out from everybody in that movie. Yeah. It was his first role, like... I think since 62 or 63, because he did one, two, three with Billy Wilder. And when he came back, the character that he played wasn't, wasn't older. He was younger. So they did the age makeup, but I didn't know he was in ragtime until like just recently. Really? You know? and, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. Emil Jackson was. Believe it or not, it was one of the first know. movies. I, it was one of the first movies I saw Cagney in and back in college, I would watch, I would frequent rapid share. I would download just endless, you know, mega upload. I would download any movie with my favorite actors in uh, uh, Jackson, Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, uh, Tony Todd, Lance Hendrickson, all those guys just were basically people I would check all their movies out. And so it was just so wild out. Eventually I got to his earlier movies he had done and it's like, wow, he just done so many TV specials and, PBS movies that are basically just film stage productions, but this one is interesting because, yeah, it's an extra role, but yet he's still playing a key person who has, like, five different scenes, so it's just an uncredited role at this point, but paid him as an extra. Damn. Damn connections. Yeah. What are we going to do? And just yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you. Yeah, we can. Okay, hear you. Yeah. Okay. So, um, like, like you say, a testament to acting and just a surprising cast that uh, people you never would suspect are in it. A movie, um, I think, has been lost in the shuffle with Samuel Jackson between True Romance and Pulp Fiction. And that's fresh. I was going to mention that one. Good, good call. Good call. As the douchebag abandoning dad who uh, lets his kid. Yeah, he's the. And it's an amazing role for him to be in because Bo's Yakin did it, and I saw him in college. I remember being just like blown away. This kid is like 12 years old. His father, he plays the alcoholic father who's a speech chess champion. And right. He just, he stands out. He's totally his cops out, too, like bandits his kid, and then just is laughing at him like, you don't get it, man. It's easy. You just hustle, hustle. And it's like, why would 
any psychopath, you know, just let their kid just deal drugs and be around violent people. <laughs> it's like, damn. And the ending. Uh, ending, they're playing a game of chess. That, and, <laughs> and the father just berates him and, like, you know, just basically puts him down. Looks and like you know, his, his he's looking up at his father crying. He's like, he's like you know, he kind of lost his childhood. That movie and the father's like you know the. He I don't start scuffling. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. And don't get it. You know, you don't get it. You know, but I, that movie, I, I remember seeing that movie and I was just being like blown away by, it. but his his. He comes into that role the way he comes into his scenes, and just seen Pulp Fiction the year before, because we got video the year after. I think it was some. It was somewhere we would watch in college, and I was like, it hit, "Your head turns when he's in those scenes, you know." Yeah, because he starts he's out narrating, like, and you don't realize you think he's abandoned the kid, and then you realize, "Oh my God, that dude, the kid was talking to, is his dad, who he's recounting all his dreams." Yeah, what would be a very depressing episode of Homicide or The Wire ends up being a full-fledged, just relentless account, kind of like Goodfellas, but for you know, hood dealers, you know. And it's yeah. like, damn. And the the thing, the thing that always upsets me is that that kid, the kid, his best friend Chucky, um, the real heavy set kid. Like, yeah. like making himself out to be a drug dealer, and like he goes to shoot the guys, and he drops the gun. The gun goes under the tire. He shoots the tire, and then the guys come and shoot him. And he's just like, you just see like the kid's face. Like, oh my god, they just shot my they just shot my friend. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very hard to look at. I mean, it's not hard, but it's like you know, it's yeah, very, actually. very tough to. to Instead of feeling like a, like you say, a very staged movie, it does feel very relentlessly real. And I, I've been meaning to rewatch it for a while. I might end up doing it for the Giancarlo Esposito episode. So, yeah, first movie, definitely the first movie I saw him in. I remember uh, what Giancarlo uh, Samuel Jackson. He, well, he's been in. Yeah, that's true. He is in School Days and even trading places, but that, yeah. that was definitely the first movie where he played a very key villain role that I, I was like, I rem I know this guy's face. He's this part Italian, part African guy who was on Sesame Street and Breaking Bad. <laughs> uh, he was on Sesame Street? That's how he started out. Oh my like, god. He could sing and dance, so yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we'll definitely Damn. have plenty of stories for him. Um, so what's interesting, like to say, fresh, uh, seeing fresh, and then seeing him in his uncredited cameo in Out of Sight as George Clooney's, uh, you know, prison-bound, you know, guy on the bus, as well as mm -hmm. uh, Minister Society as the alcoholic drug father who has just one line saying "Give me my fucking money" and shooting the guy <laughs> in Minister Society, you know, it just made sense that he's in fresh because he's just. Now he's playing different degrees of criminals and fodder figures who are unreliable. And that gave you strengths. Hold on. <laughs> okay. So I, I he's was also in Eddie Murphy's. 
Yeah, he is in Eddie Murphy's Raw and uh, as his dad in like one segment. Um, <laughs> I guess you could mention that as an interesting role because. Sounds like. Sounds yeah, like... I'm having trouble hearing you guys. Yeah, dude. I... <laughs> yeah, are we okay, then? We settled? <laughs> we good? Good. <laughs> I'm okay. JJ. JJ. Hmm? I'm here. Okay. Sorry, I heard a lot of shuffle, okay. shuffle, shuffle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Raw's definitely an interesting role for him because it's just an atypical dad role. And um, uh, I'm going to give an. Uh, I guess I'll mention his role in Basic. We just mentioned Minister to Society yeah. out of sight and fresh because uh, it's again another soldier role, and you the whole time Jackson, depending much like Courage Under Fire and Rashomon, depending on what segment you watch, determines whether or not you know he's the good guy or bad guy in the argument. <laughs> you know, power to the very end, right? Where you get the truth about the whole thing, and it was just a movie that flew under the radar, but he was reunited with John Travolta and. Definitely one of John Travolta's better movies, in my opinion. <laughs> a lot of people don't like this one because, but compared to other mystery movies, you're less likely to be disappointed <laughs> compared to other ones, which just were like really bad, you know, scream, <laughs> other knockoffs. Um, Very true. So I guess I'll give some honorable mentions to his bad father role in Eve's Bayou, his barfly role in Tree's Lounge with Steve Buscemi, his abusive. Uh, you know, guitar player, uh, banjo player in Black Snake Moan, and uh, his uh, loudmouth uh, patron role in Mo Better Blues, and uh, his cop held hostage role in No Good Deed with Mila Jovovich, and the narrator in the Go the Fuck to Sleep book. <laughs> The buddy movie the man, so that's all I got. <laughs> we also talk about his role in Kingsman as the main villain. Ah, how did I forget that in the whole fifty? <laughs> you know, he's really great in it. I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I could trade that out, but I'll, I'll put that in honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how I forgot it. I guess I was just so. I just realized. <laughs> but I was so distracted by Hitman's bodyguard. Thank you, John. <laughs> Otherwise, someone would have probably sent a hate mail saying, "How do you forget Kingsman?" <laughs> I think it's my <laughs> He probably would have. They've been like, he's playing a James Bond homage role, <laughs> villain, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's he's basically hates. You know what's interesting about that movie is how he basically hates corporate people, and yet. Mm-hmm. He also embraces the corporate side of life. He's the kind of guy who hates, you know, the Trump and Bloomberg's of the world and yet kind of takes their money and then becomes just as bad as them. That's kind of the funny twist is <laughs> like he th- he's acting like a Robin Hood, you know, kind of a a diehard four type villain where he's using his former, you know, spy and computer hacking skills to send a message. And then he gets lost in the shuffle because at the end of the day, he's still just an evil asshole. <laughs> Very true. He was making the whole mind control, having people fight each other. That, that was pretty ingenious. <laughs> uh, 
I'll say this about another movie that Samuel L. Jackson did that kind of was uh, man wouldn't fly today, but Amos and Andrew. If anybody remembers that movie, I love that movie. Oh my god! Oh. I thought yep. I put it on the list, but I, lo and behold, I didn't. Somehow, <laughs> it was it was a good it's a good movie to watch because it's the premise is funny, and the way they handle it is Nicholas Cage as the police chief. Yeah, it's fun, so funny. <laughs> was in that that I. Brad, Brad Dourif, remember, yeah, and as the psychologist, and here Jackson's and, playing a established author who, you know, he's in Mississippi at a new house, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's just another guy who we're gonna, you know, light yep. up on the news." <laughs> Massachusetts, he's in Massachusetts. That's what it was. Yes, a new house, and the neighbors think he's breaking in, and then what they do is. So, but so to save face, Dabney Coleman gets uh, Nicholas Cage's character. He's like his nephew. He's like in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Says, "Look, uh, listen, we want you to go into this house and hold this guy hostage because if it looks like we arrest him, we're going to be racist, bigoted assholes. So you're going to go in, and they they develop this like friend, friendly bond with each other while all this is going on." It's like you say, it's a, good, it's a good parody of both the desperate hours and the defiant ones. They did it. They were yeah. appeared in this two years before they were in kiss of death. And it's just yeah. funny because there's not much language, but when there is some profanity, it is pretty funny for a PG 13 movie. It doesn't feel restricted like other nineties movies where they just relied on Jim Carrey or Dana Carvey to carry the whole thing. And it wasn't uh, like that movie cage did where they were the, they were the the who robbed the house. The you know, who robbed I, the bank. I see what you did there. Cage, caged in. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> There's a that movie a too. Oh, who else? Who's in that? Uh, you know. I'm drawing blanks, but there's plenty of other people who were who were playing deputies, and it was pretty wild and. There's yeah. Sir, Sir Mix-a-Lot's Suburban Nightmare plays in the end credits, which just is icing on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> and it just ends in the most wacky thing. It's just a wacky satire, and I wish they would make more movies like this. Now, if they did it, it would be probably too heavy-handed or just unpleasant, regardless of whether you agree with the message or not. So this one was just pretty wild because, you know, Having in Massachusetts, you know, just all these guys, you just, you know, not much has changed. So it's endlessly going to be funny from that point on. But, mm -hmm. you know, and it keeps it pretty basic. And I've always been inconsistent on whether or not I would call it an action movie, but some sites have listed it as action just because of the car chase at the end. That's pretty, that's also in the trailer. <laughs> Man, does that car get shot up good. <laughs> Oh, True. yeah, it's like uh, a uh, good, good call in there. That is a outrageous movie. And so now that we've taken on most of his IMDb uh, profile, I think this is a good where I call time. <laughs> I'll let you guys plug yourselves. Uh, JJ, I'll let you uh, promote anything you got going. And then I'll start with Daniel and uh, Jonathan. <laughs> 
nothing much except uh, probably going to be. I'm writing a little bit more on the website. I haven't been doing it as I said last week. Um, you got any blogs you want to show? Um, I'm going to be. Yeah, I'm going to probably be uh, into the uh, 1978 Gabe Kaplan movie, uh, Fast Break, where he played coach and uh i've heard of it a lot seen of... It. yeah i haven't seen that right one. at the time he was it was always on a double bill with like that and lead cross where she played the female uh uh female coach of a basketball team with michael bean anybody remembers that also um i'm going to be looking into um Canadian comedies because oh yeah we I was I was looking into a movie that came out in 1979 1980 called Hog Wild <laughs> Tony Rosado who just passed away a couple years ago Michael Bean and the, the guy who played uh um the fat guy in Meatballs are in it and it's it was this movie about a guy who it was it's 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 a fun, it, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start doing a thing about um, movies according to state. So there's Hogwild, you know, which is Canada, which I always say is like, you know, our our neighbor north. But there's a movie also called Drive In, which took place in Lubbock, Texas. Oh, really? In 1970. Oh, yeah. It was Crown Royal. It's the whole movie is basically like American graffiti in a. <laughs> Not a bad template so we to actually found it on YouTube. No, but it was, it was, it's fun to watch. And then I'm going to do something about American too, which. Okay. Very cool. So, uh, those are the things I'll post about. I'm going to do that. So that's I've definitely probably seen my next thing. Many, uh, Canadian, uh, film and show, but uh, I guess sadly, I guess the most Canadian comedy I've seen is just like Little Mosque on the Prairie or Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> well, it's SCTV, and then there's, uh, there's, there's the, uh, a movie that nobody yeah. knows. There's a movie that nobody knows about with <laughs> Andrea Park called Trouble Bird. I've not which seen is that a one. Really <laughs> watch. It's yeah. it's. To watch so. pretty wild hmm. all righty very cool so i look forward to those things feel free to share that blog uh uh what is the house of tortured souls up to uh not really all that much i'm afraid to say the weather's still pretty shitty in that area. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been snowed in quite a bit for the last week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, I could not get it at all. Today, it's a miracle I got outside because it was snowing again. We're due for more on Sunday. Ugh. But, Jersey, uh, take, <laughs> yeah, taking the, take the time to work on some videos. I got stuff coming up. Okay. Well, even better. And, Jonathan, I know you've been... Reviewing a few different movies. Do you have any other upcoming reviews that you're thinking of just tackling for any of the blogs? Well, I got my one coming up very soon, probably tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> okay. There's other ones I'm thinking of, but 
I'll have to make sure that it's not on the site beforehand. Uh-huh. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Other than that, uh, thank you all for joining me in this. This was a very special, and this is definitely the first celeb we did where we felt comfortable just tackling 50 key roles plus some honorable mentions. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, thanks for having us. Anytime. Thank I you. Just... Let's keep talking about the people that inspire us. All right. Exactly. Anytime. Stay safe, guys. <laughs> yep. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 Good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. 
You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything yeah, that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love good movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She Podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. 
After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. 
Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts, and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.